Coming up next on Passion Struck. And I think I'm just fortunate to still be around. And I realized that instead of having survivor guilt and feeling like I should be down or out because people didn't make it back home, I realized that it wasn't my choice or my call. Why didn't it make it back home? But I can push forward in life and live to the fullest, not only for myself, but also for the service members that didn't make it back home and their loved ones that no longer have them in their life. Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles. And on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice for you and those around you. Our mission is to help you unlock the power of intentionality so that you can become the best version of yourself. If you're new to the show, I offer advice and answer listener questions on Fridays. We have long form interviews the rest of the week with guests ranging from astronauts to authors, CEOs, creators, innovators, scientists, military leaders, visionaries, and athletes. Now, let's go out there and become Passion Struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 369 of Passion Struck, consistently ranked by Apple as the number one alternative health podcast. Thank you to all of you who come back to the show every week to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for being here, or you simply want to introduce this to a friend or family member, check out our episode starter packs, which are collections of our fans' favorite episodes that we organize into different playlists that give any new listener a great way to get acclimated to everything we do here on the show. Either go to Spotify or passionstruck.com slash starter packs to get started. In case you missed it, last week I had three great interviews. The first was with Dr. Vanessa Bonds, a social psychologist and professor of organizational behavior at Cornell University. Dr. Bonds is the author of the eye-opening book, You Have More Influence Than You Think. And in our interview, we discuss her original research to shed light on the power dynamics of consent and influence. I also interviewed Rusty Shelton, best-selling author, dynamic keynote speaker, and successful entrepreneur. We discuss Rusty's book, The Authority Advantage, Building Thought Leadership Focused on Impact, Not Ego. Lastly, I had on Michelle Mace Curran, a combat veteran and former F-16 pilot who once commanded the skies as Thunderbird No. 6 opposing Solo before becoming the lead Solo number no. 5 in the 2020 2021 air show season. Michelle's story is a testament to the unwavering spirit, perseverance, and determination. I also wanted to say thank you for your ratings and reviews. If you love today's episode or any of the others that I mentioned, we would appreciate you giving it a five-star review and sharing it with your friends and families. I know we and our guests love to see comments from our listeners, and these reviews and ratings bring so many people into the Passion Struck community. Today, I have the incredible honor of speaking with retired United States Army Staff Sergeant and New York Times bestselling author, Travis Mills. Travis is not just a war hero. He is one of only five quadruple amputees to survive the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. His journey from the battlefield to where he is today is nothing short of awe-inspiring. In his latest book, Bounce Back, 12 Warrior Principles to Reclaim and recalibrate your life, Travis lays out a powerful roadmap for how to face life's challenges head on and emerge stronger on the other side. This isn't just a book for soldiers or veterans. It's a book for anyone who has faced trauma and adversity and is looking for a way to bounce back and reclaim their life. With nearly a decade of experience coaching others to overcome adversity, Travis shares practical strategies and heartfelt stories that will resonate with survivors from all walks of life. This episode is full of powerful antidote, medical insights, and of course, Travis's trademark humor. So without further ado, let's dive in and learn from Travis's incredible journey and the invaluable lessons he has to share. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Now, let that journey begin. 
I am so excited today to welcome Travis Mills to Passionstruck. Welcome, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Travis, we all have defining moments in our lives that we will never forget, moments that shape our life's trajectory. Your story is an incredible testament to human resilience and strength. Can you take us back to the moment in your in-law's bedroom where you found yourself looking at a picture of yourself in a small sterling silver picture frame? And how through that moment did you realize your life was going to be completely different? And how did it influence your journey to recalibrate it? So excited to get out of the hospital. And all I did for the 19 months recovery was think I'm going to retire. I'm going to get out of here. And life is all ebbs and flows or hills and valleys. In the military where I was a high up staff sergeant and I led my guys, had a great time with it. And then I got blown up. And then I built myself up to be somebody that was a mentor. People look up to, they, they worked out with and recovered with at the hospital. And then all I wanted was to retire. And then when I retired, I went and stayed in my in-law's house. When I got there, I got everything that I wanted, I thought. And then I realized I had to figure out who I was. I was no longer Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, leader of combat soldiers. And I was no longer going to be the guy at the hospital that everybody looked up to and talked with, worked out with and believed in and asked questions to and looked for mentorship. I was now out in the real world and I didn't know what my next direction was going to be and what I was going to be able to do with it. But my wife luckily walked in and that's the first time I think I ever showed anybody emotion about what I was going through. And not even like I wanted to, just by accident. And she assured me we'll get through this together. And then I decided that it wasn't going to beat me. And I would just keep pressing forward and figure it out. And in that moment, didn't really know what I was going to do. I'd started speaking a little bit, which I thought was fun. And then I also had the nonprofit for care packages, but we were going to expand that. And then just decided, let's go for it. Let's have some good times and not let this injury take the rest of my life. You talk about your time in the military, and it's something that I can relate to because when I was in, I felt the same way. We had this mission and we knew the strategy we needed to do to execute it. However, after I left the military, I was supposed to join the FBI. And that unfortunately hit a snag when Congress failed to pass a spending bill and myself and my classmates got recirculated. And I found myself in a similar place at my in-law's house and stuck between this life I had known in the military and now having to go into the civilian world and find a job because I had no fallback plan to the FBI not happening. And I think whether it's coming out of the military or some aspect of our lives, we often find ourselves in this place that I call the abyss. It's this unknown place that we get stuck in. And as I was reading your story, it related to me because when we're stuck in this place, I think we have a choice. We can either remain stuck, self-sabotaging ourselves, hiding the fear of the unknown, et cetera, or we can choose growth and, as I say, it to become passion-struck. What inspired you at that moment of being in the unknown to make that choice, and what advice would you give to a listener who finds themselves stuck in the same place? I was just fortunate to have my daughter by my side and my wife, so it wasn't really a hard decision of getting better as much as it was, what am I going to do next? And finding my new path, if you will, because I was given the chance to live and I was given the chance to move forward in life, regardless of having limbs or not. And my daughter being there with me as my guiding light, if you will, and my best friend made it easy for me to want to press forward in life. I can't say that I had a moment where I ever wanted to give up or I, I wanted to quit on anything, but I, I can say that 
it was just uh, a hard time realizing that now I'm out of the military. Now I have nobody telling me where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to say. And I had to figure life out. And I say on my own, but it wasn't really. I had to figure my life out what was going to be most beneficial for me, but more importantly, my family. My wife came in, reassured me we'll be okay. My daughter and me hung out. We hang out like every day and you just figure it out. But uh, I think my background probably helped me out as well because my mom and dad always did everything they could for us children. And I knew that, that was the most important thing was families. What happened to me was terrible, but I'm a pretty, pretty lucky guy. As someone who's faced the reality of potentially not being here today, how has your perception of mattering and making a difference changed or evolved? I think I'm just fortunate to still be around. And I realized that instead of having survivor guilt and feeling like I should be down or out because people didn't make it back home, I realized that it wasn't my choice or my call. Why didn't it make it back home? But I can push forward in life and live to the fullest, not only for myself, but also for the service members that didn't make it back home and their loved ones that no longer have them in their life. I just think that realizing that I was given the opportunity and the chance to live through injuries is one of the greatest gifts. And no matter how hard my life gets or how much I struggle with certain things, it could be worse. And I just need to count my blessings and just keep going forward. Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers... According to a recent survey, saying Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to PassionStruck. Yeah, one of the things I love that you wrote in the book is that we need to learn to separate the trauma from the struggle. Why is it what truly matters is not the struggle, but how you struggle? Well, it's about how you adapt and overcome. That's how you can understand like that struggle is real and there is stuff going on, but there's ways to be stronger. There's ways to get through it or adapt with it. Maybe you won't ever recover fully, but when it, you do have something come up that is constantly nagging at you or is a burden on you, there's ways to get around it and to cope with it. So I remember how hard it was for my recovery, but I don't worry about because the bomb hit me. I don't worry about when that bomb hit me anymore because it's something that happened in the past. Now I every day I have to put my legs on and my arm on and walk around in prosthetics and use prosthetic hand to feed myself and dress myself and, and to drive myself around. It's always a constant reminder of what I went through, but it doesn't mean I got to live where I went through. I can just keep pushing fast. Today, we're going to spend most 
of the interview talking about your new book, which releases on November 7th, Bounce Back, 12 Warrior Principles to Reclaim and Recalibrate Your Life. And I was hoping you could describe Bounce Back because it's not just a title, but it's a powerful message that you want to share with the world. Can you explain the main reason you wrote it and how it has shaped your life post-injury? Absolutely. I'm very fortunate to be a speaker at a lot of events. I'm actually flying to Alabama today, right after this. And then I got to head to Florida next week. But I think that the biggest question I always got was, hey, how'd you do it? Like, how'd you recover, end up being this person that's happy and smiling and joking around and all that? I realized that after they said that, they always told me something going on in their life. I had cancer. I have a car accident. I have this. I have that. And I just can't seem to figure out how to make, make it through or to, uh, to come out of it, like how you came out of your injuries. And I thought, man, let me just figure out how to write my story, but as well as other people's stories of how they were able to bounce back, how they were able to get knocked down, but get up, dust themselves off and keep going forward. And the unique part about my new book coming out that I'm very excited for is it's not just my story. It's stories of people that went through cancer and divorce and house fires and drug addiction, but how they were at the bottom of the, the barrel, right? The lowest that they could be and then how they clawed and got their way back up and how they were able to bounce back as well as there's medical background. So theories and research papers and studies that go into how the mind works and how you're able to think a certain way and change your mindset or why you feel a certain way due to what your brain does in situations that you find yourself in. So I'm truly excited how it came out. The collaborative author, Kathy Huck, the research author I worked with was just a wealth of knowledge, very fantastic. And I think it's a book that doesn't speak just to military people or just people that serve, whether it's first responders or firefighters or any kind of service. I think it speaks to everybody because it's Everybody goes through something and uh, it showcases that we're not all alone in this and we're not isolated with what we're going through. Other people have struggles and this is how they were able to bounce back and get through it. In the book, you lay out 12 warrior principles and I'm going to go through several of them during the interview. The first is what you call that dog don't hunt. Love the name. In it, you discuss the importance of not torturing yourself by not asking why me, but rather what now? How did shifting your mindset in this way, change your path to recovery? Well, I would sit in a hospital bed and I would close my eyes and I'd hope and I wish and pray this never happened. And then I opened my eyes and I was still in the hospital bed. And then you start going down the, the rabbit hole of well, why this happened? Or, why me? Or what could I have done different? Or what's my life going to be like? And all these questions that you can't answer and you're never going to answer. Unfortunately, you're never going to answer in my situation, I'm never going to answer why this happened to me. I have to accept that it did happen. I, I accept, all right, it happened. And I have to move forward. So with me, it's just about understanding what we can control, what we can understand, what we can figure out compared to what we can't. And simply put, I can't figure out why this happened. And I'm never going to understand why it happened. And no answer I ever get for why it happened will make me feel better about it. So instead, I just stop asking why. I go ahead and accept that it happened, and then we just get a little better, brighter future. In principles three, you outline the concept that you point the finger and four fingers point back at you. And you talk about the importance of being compassionate to our emotions. How has being compassionate towards your emotions, especially the painful ones, helped you in the healing process? Well, I tell people I did mental health the wrong way. I didn't talk to mental health at the hospital. Uh, matter of fact, I just gave lady my name, rank, and social. And that was it. And, and then I had a community, like a social worker I was supposed to talk to. And about the second session, I think I said, look, this isn't the movies. We're not going to have any deep conversations. I think what you do is great and people need it should definitely come see you, but we're going to get nowhere. 
and she released me. But then I realized later on that I was fortunate because I had such a strong friend group that I had my counseling or my work done for me while talking to all my friends and being there to understand what they're going through. But then back to being compassionate, what's going on in your life or what's going on with your situation. It's okay to have a rough day. It's okay to be upset or sad or emotional about something. But after you get to that part, then you have to figure out how you're going to get out of that. You don't just want to sit and marinate in that. You want to be compassionate to what you're going through, understand what you're going through and work towards a plan to how you're going to get out of what whatever's driving you to, to feel that way. And as you pointed out in the book, almost everyone goes through trauma at some point in their life, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma. And I remember myself, after I got out of the military, I buried a lot of what was going on inside of me for a long time, as we talked about before you came on. And I thought I was strong enough to handle the pain and I didn't want to be a burden on others, which I think is something that a lot of people end up feeling. Can you elaborate on why you think society often promotes the idea of a stiff upper lip and why you believe this is the wrong approach? Well, I don't know why society has done that, but I know that talking about your feelings was something that people said not to do. We don't want to open that bag of worms and, and sayings like that because we just be able to be tougher than that. Don't think about it and, and not worry about it. But then I think why that's so bad is because you press it down for so long and you start feeling dead to the world. You start not caring. And a lot of that stuff happens overseas. I can remember I was so desensitized to what I was doing over there that if we got in a fight with the Taliban and we killed a guy or a couple of guys, we just would strap them on the front of our hood and we didn't know where to put them. So we put them just like you put like a deer on the top of a, a car. Like we would strap a guy on a hood and take him to the nearest village and drop him off and just leave. And, uh, and maybe that's what you need to do when you're at war, but then you got to be able to decompress and uh, be able to talk about that stuff and you come to peace with what you did and then understand that it's okay to have these feelings and these emotions and to talk about them actually makes you better off in the long run because you're not going to ball it all up till finally you explode one day. Yeah, I can relate to you. One of the things that we often talk about on the show is the power of our daily choices and why it's so important that you intentionally set how you're going to live out each day because it's that culmination of choices that we do on an everyday basis that culminate in the life that we want to live or that we do live. And this relates to another concept that you bring about in the book, which is the focus on creating small achievable goals. This, I think, is principle four of your book. Can you discuss why it's so important to break things down into small bite-sized chunks? Yeah. For me, the first thing I was like, I'm gonna, I need to start walking. I need to have a prosthetic arm. I need to get out of here. And as, as much as I wanted that, and I was like, that's my goal. I got to get that. I had to like really break it down. To, okay. Well, first thing I got to do is actually, I got to be able to sit up because I lost all my muscle mass in my stomach where I couldn't sit up or roll right or left by myself. And once I was able to sit up, then I was able to go down to occupational therapy and work on building muscle, doing sit-ups, the coordination I needed for my arm to be able to move. And every day was a new challenge to get me to the point where I could put legs on and put a prosthetic arm on and be able to walk and do everything. But if you set your goals too big, too fast, or you want this right now, and it's going to take six months, like my legs took six months, there's no little rewards there to make you feel better about your progress. So setting achievable and attainable goals as one step closer to a, a, to your, a bigger goal is something I think is very helpful. Can you take us back in time to that point where you were starting to make these incremental achievements? How was your mindset at that point? And how did you get on from day to day when you were faced with such 
incredible setbacks that were staring you in the face. Yeah, I'll be honest. The reason I wanted my hand to work so bad is, is sheerly embarrassment because as a 25-year-old, I needed help with everything. I needed help getting a bedside shower to using the restroom to getting dressed to getting fed my food because I couldn't do it myself. And I was like, I got to get an arm. So five weeks into my recovery, I was able to put my prosthetic on for the very first time, learn how to open it and close it and rotate it. And I fed myself. I started dressing myself. No one else helped me ever again with using the restroom. And that was like my driving force. I need to be independent if I'm going to live through this. And then a bigger thing was, okay, I need to walk and get better because my wife said she's going to stay with me. And it was important for me to understand that as much as my wife's great and I love the fact that she's with me, she doesn't need to be my caregiver. She needs to be my wife. So I need to do as much as I can by myself. And don't get me wrong. She helps with some things still. And there's a lot of things I can't do around the house that we have to pick the slack up for by, with someone else. But, uh, but I think for me, my first goals that I set were based off of willingness to get better, but also a little bit of embarrassment too. And then just kept clicking away. Yeah, I know the technology behind prosthesis has gotten a lot better. I look at Christy Ennis, who you might know, and the fact that she's able to mountain climb now. What are some of the capabilities that it's allowed you to do? And what are some of the limitations that are still there in technology today? Well, they come up with uh, really high-tech and advanced arms and hands, which are great, but they're not as durable as the one I wear now. So when I push down against a chair to stand up, if I have the single motor fingers, it breaks because my weight will break it when I stand up. But what they have now, the technology I have right now, I have my hand here. I, I can go 360. That's pretty cool. But I can do everything I need to do with that. And then my legs are actually the coolest because not only to help me walk, but they are Bluetooth. So I lock my legs to my drive mode on my phone. And I drive like everybody else with my right foot going back and forth to the gas and brake pedals. Very natural feeling. And then they're waterproof. So if it rains, I'm not like worried, oh my gosh, am I going to break and things like that. But just the fact they have all this stuff, you wake up in a hospital bed on your 25th birthday with no arms, no legs, and you think your life's over, you have nothing left to give. And now you're going to be someone's burden the rest of your life to where today I woke up, I took my daughter to school, I went to the dentist, came here, I got a haircut next and the beer trims, and I can do all this stuff independently. And it feels pretty awesome. I have five minutes of my day, I need my father-in-law or my dad or my wife or somebody in my close circle help put my legs on the right way, my arm on the right way. But once I get those on, I'm off to the races. Yeah, a good buddy of mine, I'm not sure if you know him or not, he's a retired Navy SEAL, Captain uh, John Doolittle. He's part of a company called Katsu, and one of the things that they are working on is to help service members and other people who have lost limbs because I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but a lot of stories that he talks to me about are after you've lost a limb, you still have the sensation of it still being there. And I was wondering if that was something that you've ever experienced. So I was in terrible pain. My initial time in the hospital that they thought they were going to either give me so much painkillers, I was going to die, or I was going to just end up having that kind of pain the rest of my life. So I was actually given special like treatments that they were trying. Like They were cutting edge, had to sign paperwork. And the third one they gave me was a ketamine coma. And they gave me 600 milligrams of ketamine per hour for five days straight. And the idea or philosophy was it would take my brain and reset where my nerves end. They believe that phantom limb pain is when your nerves, say my right arm, they try to go from here. They go down, they get blocked. And they're like, I can't find the hand. So they go over here and they try to find the hand. And they go around and they keep going. 
and it keeps like zapping and hurting. And the ketamine was supposed to reset my brain to think where my nerves end is where they end now. There's no longer a hand or arm attached. And I was the second in the nation, 30th in the world to have it done. Big case study done on me and uh, it worked great. Actually, I am no painkillers, no medication whatsoever. And I don't have any pain limb pain or anything like that ever since I had that procedure. Man, that's incredible. Talk about oh, yeah. a major life improvement. Thank you for sharing that. And I know one of the things that's been important to you are nonprofits that have helped you along the way, and they've been helpful for me as well, especially finding post-traumatic growth. In principle number nine, you talk about your partnership that you do between the Boulder Crest Foundation and your own charity. Can you talk about what you were doing with the Warrior Path Program and how it's helping veterans and non-veterans alike? Yeah, absolutely. The Warrior Path Program is fantastic. It's a wonderful addition to the Travis Mills Foundation. Every time I was speaking somewhere, somebody would come up and say, what do you do for post-traumatic stress? Because you do so much for physically injured service members and their families. And I would always tell them, check out Warrior Path Program or Home-Based Program. And Warrior Path was able to open up their offerings and, and have other locations that would partner with them. And we became one of the first to partner with them. And now we host 12 weeks. Uh, I think next year we're doing 15 weeks of uh, the Warrior Path course. And we bring up veterans and first responders, show them how to struggle well and how to have post-traumatic growth. And it's truly an exciting thing. And to watch people go through the course and understand life goes on and to heal because they're facing what they're going through and they're able to get this training. It's just been an absolute game changer. We've had a few people that have written in that we're about to kill themselves. Or we had loved ones that said, oh my gosh, my husband has come back, a whole new person. This is a man that I used to know. Thank you so much for what you guys did there. And it's truly awesome that we get to be a part of this. And the fact that it's for combat veterans and then they open it up to first responders is massive. And um, so grateful for the partnership and the things that we're able to do there. I'm going to jump to principle six of your book, where you share a really fun antidote about Keisha dance parties. Can you share that story with us? And it how it inspired you to practice gratitude, which is something that you had thought for a long time was hogwash. Yeah, I have no idea why, but when I was overseas, for some reason I listened to a lot of like Kesha and Katy Perry when I was on guard duty. I don't know why, it just keeps the party going. And then during my recovery, on every Friday, we'd have Kesha Fridays. And I'd hook my phone in and play like Pandora Station for Kesha and just have the craziest music that all these big tough guys that are injured probably wouldn't normally listen to. And I just would go to people that were getting frustrated and say, hey, we're going to have a 10 second dance party and try to let them know, don't take it too serious. We're going to have setbacks. It's okay. And we just go listen to some Kesha and just have a 10 second dance party or talk about what they're going through and help them refocus on the good they're doing, not the things they're struggling with. And I think it was a great way to reset for them in the moment that they were having, but also who doesn't like to dance a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I'm all shoulders now. I got to be careful. I did jujitsu last night. <laughs> And I don't know what I did, but man, I messed my left shoulder up, which is not good. It's my only shoulder I really got left that's usable. I did something last night when I was doing jujitsu. I didn't lose, though. I didn't lose. <laughs> well, Travis, you've had the opportunity to speak to and inspire people all around the country. Can you share with the audience a story of someone that you've met who has significantly been impacted by your message? We have a lot of people that fortunately reach out after I go to an event and I speak and tell me what they're going through and how it impacted them. I had a lady that went through cancer and she used me as a, her motivating factor why she was going to get better. And she had seen a couple of little clips of my speeches online, but it was the craziest thing. I was at lunch the other day out in town here in Maine. And this lady walks up, she goes, oh my gosh, my daughter just saw you. She'd love to have a picture with you. And I'm like, yeah, it's no problem. She can come over too. And she, well, she's in tears. 
And this lady had just like beat cancer and, and wanted to pitch it with me because she used a lot of what I have online and a lot of things I do as an inspiration. I was like, yeah, no problem. So we got a picture and hung out. And I never knew when I was injured the impact that my life was going to have on people. And I never knew when I got out of the hospital after I was through my recovery, what things I could do to give back. And it's really cool because the emails and the stories and the things that come into our website at travismills.org are just like, they're heartwarming. And as, as great as it is, I'm just a regular everyday guy that had to choose what way I was going to go, get better or don't. I chose to get better. And if my story can help people overcome obstacles in life, no matter what those obstacles are, I'm all about that. And I think it's the greatest thing ever. And I tell everybody their biggest problem is truly their biggest problem. So there's no reason to downplay it. If they think it's the biggest thing going on in their life that's bothering them, then that is the biggest thing going on in their life. So nobody has to come to me and say, well, I have this going on, but it's not what you're going through. Because in truth, what I'm going through is different than what they're going through. And we all have our things we deal with. So if my story, like I said, can help anybody. I, I love the fact that you can do that. And just to have people come up and hug me and tell me that they've had to fight cancer and they did it through my videos and my stories and things like that, just that means the world that I'm able to help people and impact them in a positive way. Yeah. And I know one of the audiences you talk to a lot is corporate environments. How do you translate your story, which on the surface could seem like a very personal one into helping people understand how it can be impactful in the workplace? Well, I tell everybody there's just like the army, it's one big team, one big fight. You got to all work together. And then also there'll be setbacks, there'll be challenges, there'll be days you don't really like. And I can understand that completely. And then also I let them know that there's two life lessons I live by. The number one life lesson is don't dwell on the past, just reminisce it. You can't change what happened yesterday. You can't change what happened a year ago. Instead of dwelling on that, just reminisce what the good times were and keep pushing forward. And then I tell everybody you can't always control your situation, but you can always control your attitude. That's the one thing that you are in control of is your attitude. So if you get something that happens to you, take a step back, have a couple moments to breathe through it, and then understand that your attitude is what you're in control of and make the most of it. It translates pretty well. I have a lot of fun doing it. I tell a lot more jokes than people see coming. And I'm fortunate where it's enjoyable for me. I have a few businesses and things like that. And I always tell people, if I didn't enjoy speaking, I probably wouldn't do it. But since I enjoy it and I take it as a privilege, I think it really makes it a lot better for the audience because I'm actually up there doing something that I truly love doing. And it relates pretty well. I do about 40 or 50 a year. I try to cap it because I have young kids, but it's a good time. Wow, that's quite a lot, 40 to 50. Congratulations on that. One of the fundamental things we explore on this podcast is the profound impact of mattering. And this is at the heart of your principle number 11. And you discuss in this chapter how you were the physical embodiment of a miraculous survival story, and that power gave you a purpose. You became a man on a mission. And you talk about how we only get one go around at life, one chance to make a difference. Why is it so important to create significance in our lives? Well, it's hard for us to look past what we got going on, or maybe hard for us to take a chance on ourselves because the fear will creep in and the doubt creeps in. And I think I was given this extra shot at life to really live to the fullest and to enjoy what I do, but make a big positive impact and make a difference. And I think that as soon as people get the chance to understand that and maybe not go out and have a near-death experience like I did, but understand that 
we only get one shot at this. And rather than looking back on life and saying, man, I wish I would have did this. I wish I would have bought a motorcycle. I always wanted a motorcycle and I never bought one. And now I can get one, but it's not going to be the same as if I would have one when I had arms and legs. So instead of looking back on the past and saying, man, I really wish I would have did that. I look at the future and say, okay, let's see what we can do to craft it to what I want, but also craft it to how can I give back? How can I help? And how can I have purpose and be meaningful? And I think that's something that we lose sight of as we go through the daily grind of life. How many times, even with you, have you been there working day over day or crushing things after year after year and then looking back saying, huh, and I should have took this opportunity or I should have changed this, or maybe there was a chance I could have went after this idea or this goal or dream. And I just tell people nowadays, you only get one go round. I found it out the hard way and uh, might as well go after it. I'm putting a brewery in. I don't know how to brew any beer, but we have a brewmaster. But I'm putting a brewery in just because I figured, why not? I want one. So the bank says loan me money. They're good like that. And uh, might as well get a brewery. <laughs> For anyone who's listening, who might be going through a challenging time, what advice would you give them today on the podcast to help them bounce back and reclaim their lives? I tell them like it gets better. You just got to keep pushing forward and you got to look for your opportunity to make it better. And there's things that happen that we don't see coming. And there's things that happen that we can't understand why they happen. If something's going on in your life that's holding you down or bringing you down, just keep trying to find your way around. Just like that ketamine coma that I had to go through. That ketamine coma stopped those nerves. Those nerves kept trying to find my hands or my feet. It kept really being annoying. But once I did the ketamine coma, it found a way to fix the problems and it was all better. And it took a couple of trials, but we go through things that make us stronger and we have to just adapt and overcome. And I think if someone's feeling down and out there listening to this, find what makes you happy, understand you can't change the past and uh, make your future better. Okay. And then lastly, Travis, if someone would like to learn more about you, where are the best places for them to go to do so? If you go to my Facebook page or my Instagram page for the fun videos and things I do, that's going to be at SSG Travis Mills on social media. And then if you want to find my website, travismillsfoundation.org or my other website for my speaking is travismills.org. Well, Travis, thank you so much for joining us here today and congratulations on the launch of your second amazing book. Hey, I appreciate it. Hope everybody gets it. My first book, Tough as It Comes, is a seller. And hopefully this one will have the same impact on people that my first one did. So hope you guys enjoy Bounce Back and uh, appreciate your time today. Okay. Thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed that interview with Travis Mills. And I wanted to thank Travis, Lauren Rosenthal, and Hachette Books for the honor and privilege of having Travis appear on today's show. Links to all things Travis will be in the show notes at passionstruck.com. Please use our website links if you purchase any of the books from the guests that we feature on the show. All proceeds go to supporting the show. And speaking of books, my brand new book titled Passion Struck, 12 Powerful Principles to Unlock Your Purpose and Ignite Your Most Intentional Life is now available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you purchase books. Links will also be in the show notes. Videos are on YouTube at both John R. Miles and Passionstruck Clips. Advertiser deals and discount codes are in one convenient place at passionstruck.com deals. You can sign up for my newsletter, Work Intentionally, on LinkedIn. You can catch me at John R. Miles on all the social platform, or you can sign up for my 
personal development newsletter, Live Intentionally at passionstruck.com. You're about to hear a preview of the Passion Struck podcast I did with Andrew McAfee, author of the new enlightening book, The Geek Way. Andrew is the co-director of the MIT Initiative of the Digital Economy and a principal research scientist at the MIT Sloan School of Management. At the heart of the book is a different set of practices to bring people together and accomplish big things. I think the geek's most fundamental innovation has nothing to do with digital technologies. I think they have iterated and experimented their way into a better set of practices, all centered around bringing us weird human beings together and letting us accomplish really, really important things. The fee for this show is that you share it with family and friends when you find something useful or interesting. If you know someone who's dealing with adversity, then definitely share today's episode with them. The greatest compliment that you can give us is to share the show with those that you love and care about. In the meantime, do your best to apply what you hear on the show so that you can live what you listen. Until next time, go out there and become passion struck.